Earnings season ramps up with inflation and a slowing economy likely to dominate discussions. The Reserve Bank doubles down on higher interest rates and it's evident in the weekend's auction results. And Big Oil made $22.6 million an hour throughout 2022. It's Monday, the 13th of February, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Nice weekend? Yeah, it's a very nice weekend, thanks. And we've got a big week coming up, Sean. And and uh, this is why I enjoy today's chat, your interview with Matthew Kidman uh, from Centennial Asset Management about the upcoming earnings season, because it is really the focus at the moment, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's our main story today as well, of course. We talked to Matthew just about what he expects to see from the different sectors and different companies over the next uh, three or so weeks. Remember, every half year, ISX-listed companies have to come out and tell us what uh, how they've gone and, more importantly, what they're seeing. And that's what we talked to Matthew about. Great chat for anyone who's interested in investing. Yeah, it absolutely is. The Australian December half earnings reporting season is really kind of it's ramping up this week, isn't it? There's about 50 companies due to report, I think, and all eyes are going to be on inflation and how quickly the economy is slowing. Yes, that's right. We've had a few companies reporting in the last week or so, but things really kick into gear today. JB Hi-Fi and then Lease are both out today. We've got Commonwealth Bank, Fortescue and Wes Farmers on Wednesday, Telstra's on Thursday, always a big one for all those the million plus shareholders, and QBE on Friday. It's been a very strong start to 2023 in terms of share prices. The S&P ASX 200 is up 7% so far this year, which has wiped out last year's losses. But it also means that there are expectations for stronger results. And if they don't eventuate, share prices could quite easily fall back. Consensus earnings forecast is for growth of a bit above 7%, but that has a strong bias to energy, industrials, technology, and utility stocks. So it will be very interesting to see how we go in all those other sectors in particular over the next two or three weeks. So what exactly are investors looking for, Sean? I think the big macroeconomic themes, and that will dominate, will be whether inflation pressures have eased at all, whether higher prices have been passed through to consumers, and also just the state of the economy. Is it slowing? What impact are higher interest rates having? No one will want to hear about COVID, and certainly not COVID excuses. If we go down to specific sectors, well, each will have their own challenges. You know, what's demand like from China for our miners? How's the cost of energy hitting the steel companies? What about the healthcare companies and normalisation of services post-COVID, the banks and bad debts, travel companies, airlines versus ridiculously high airfares, you know, retailers and whether people are still spending or have worn out their savings buffer, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're going to have to expect over the next few weeks is lots of different comments, particularly around inflation, input prices, that sort of thing. And probably a lot of companies will come out and say, we're not real sure how the next year is going to go or so. In that case, do you think there'll be much movement on the ASX? Yes, in a sense there is, but it's worth listening to Matthew Kidman on this exact topic in today's interview. What he says, it's really worth watching the share price action for a couple of days after the result before making a decision whether to jump in or not. Now, this isn't an investment podcast and all people have individual circumstances, so you should go and seek professional advice. But what Matthew is saying is that there is so much programmatic trading immediately after results that it's just worthwhile giving yourself 48 hours, 72 hours to see what the price action 
is before making a decision. We've already seen that investors will punish disappointing results. AGL last week, for example, said its underlying profit tumbled. Its share price fell nearly 15% in two sessions. News Corp disappointed on Friday. A little more, more of that shortly. Its share price was down 7%. Other sectors like the coal miners have also been dumped along with the price of coal. So last year, Whitehaven Coal was one of the best performers. It's down 11% so far this year. New Hope was another leader in 2022. It's down 8%. Basically, Mike, you can expect plenty of activity in the market for the next couple of weeks. And I've got to say, I love earnings season. It's really busy, but you really get to see what's happening on the ground in the economy. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So where are we starting from today? How did the local market finish up on Friday? Well, it was actually a pretty poor end of the week with the S&P ASX 200 tumbling 0.8% to 7,435 points. About 75% of the ASX 200 fell on the back of the downbeat news from the Reserve Bank and gained more of that shortly. Fortescue Metals fell more than 2% and led the big miners lower. National Australia Bank dropped 1%. Though all major banks actually went backwards. The tech stocks were mixed. Some of the more defensive stocks were among the better performers. Woolworths, Coles, they were both up sort of close to a percent. West Farmers and CSL were both lower, but only a touch, sort of outperforming the broader market. As I mentioned a moment ago, the coal companies have been sold off in recent weeks, continued on Friday. New Hope was the worst of the top 200 in that session, falling more than 8%. Buy now, pay later group block. It was down about 6.5%, as was Domain Holdings, the online property group. One interesting story there last week, Biotech Immugene jumped 7% after announcing its B-cell activating immunotherapy product had gained US patent approval. That is very big news. It's the therapies designed to treat tumours such as lung cancer. Yeah, that is big news. What about international markets? What's been happening over the weekend? Well, I must say Wall Street is leading the way, obviously. And this week, we have the US January CPI. That's due out Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Over the weekend, Dow was up about 0.5%. S&P was up slightly. NASDAQ was down just a touch. Really, it's all about those inflation figures in the US. Just like here in Australia, US investors are worried that the central bank, the Federal Reserve, will lift interest rates higher than they anticipated. Members of the Fed last week were talking about that. So these CPI figures, the January CPI figures, are some of the biggest data that you'll find this year so far because it will really determine which way markets are going. All right. Now, Sean, do you play Wordle? I did, though I must say I've sort of gone, I've forgotten about Wordle. It was it was great during the uh, COVID shutdowns. Yeah, it's been big for, for a while now, but I have a recommendation. I'll, I'll give it to you a little bit later on in the show. It is it is a game that it is the, it is so far up your alley, which sounds a little bit questionable, but it is, it is, <laughs> it is, it is, it is your game. And I cannot wait to tell you about it because I don't reckon you've heard about it and you are going to absolutely love it. Anything up my alley, I'm happy to hear about. Excellent. Well, we'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, the Reserve Bank has revised up its forecasts of inflation, although it thinks Australia's outbreak of rapidly rising prices has peaked, and it says multiple interest rate increases are necessary to keep a lid on prices. Yes. Now, Friday's quarterly statement on monetary policy from the central bank wasn't the most upbeat economic document around the place. Inflation is the economic variable de jour, perhaps for the year. What is the French for year? I have no idea. I, I no, speak one I, language and I speak it poorly, so yeah, which is yeah. English. So de jour, the day, the I don't know, maybe someone can tell us all I'm trying to say is that it's all going to be about inflation this year. The, the Reserve Bank's 
preferred measure is trimmed mean inflation, and that's currently running at just under 7%. It's expected to fall to 4.3% by the end of the year, the bank said. Now, that compares to the central bank's previous forecast of 3.8%. That really suggests that maybe the Reserve Bank isn't as confident that the inflation rate will fall as fast as it had thought. Headline inflation is expected to ease to 4.8% by the end of the year, down from its current rate of 7.8%. But it's not expected to return to the top of the bank's 2 to 3% target band until mid-2025. And that's two and a half years away or thereabouts. That's a long time to not be achieving the inflation target. One of the factors driving up prices is a pickup in wages growth. That's been a long, long time coming in this economy. Annual wages growth is expected to hit 4.2% by the end of this year. Basically, the tight labour market means companies are offering higher wages. All makes sense. The central bank said there's plenty of uncertainty about the right interest rate to get inflation down, but it is certainly higher than the current cash rate. Mind you, higher rates are slowing the economy with the Reserve Bank forecasting growth to average 1.5% this year and in 2024. So what it's saying is rates are doing the job, but it needs them to do a bigger job. Therefore, it's going to lift rates more. Meanwhile, Treasurer Jim Chalmers doesn't think Australia is headed for a recession. Yeah, I would love to see a treasurer coming out saying, well, that's it. All over, fellas. <laughs> it's all going to happen. Yep. We're heading for a recession. <laughs> Incoming hard landing. That's right. <laughs> the treasurer reckons will avoid a hard landing. And I love the fact that you, Michael, are starting to use economic parlance like that. I know. Well done. I love, because I mean, I asked you like a year ago, like, Sean, why do people keep on saying soft landing and hard landing? It was one of those ones where I was a little bit ashamed to ask you this because it's, I th- I'd probably used it prior to that without actually really knowing what I, what I was saying. But as soon as, as soon as you explained it, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. I, I use a lot of terms though that I don't quite know <laughs> the meaning. So that's also something that you don't tend to admit. Yeah, I know, but it's a tr- so apro of you know, like APRO, APRO of, I often say APRO of, and I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think it means like, you know, as an alternate to or something. I'm not really sure. So I just go APRO of and this then keep fantastic. going. And no one picks me up. Okay. So so from now on, when you use a saying, I'm <laughs> going it. to I'm going to question you. I'm just going to go, Sean, do you know what you're saying there? <laughs> and we'll see how many times it takes for me to put you on the spot before we hit on one that you are actually just bluffing your way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what were we talking about, Michael? Hard landings. Yes, of course. Look, Jim Chalmers, uh, reckon, I mean, he's following Treasury and Reserve Bank's forecasts. He does expect the economy to slow markedly this year. He said yesterday that the federal government doesn't expect to post a budget surplus in any of the next four years. No surprises there. Not even high commodity prices can offset all that spending going on, which is much of it is a hangover from COVID. The Treasurer was doing the rounds yesterday. He reiterated that the government will go ahead with the already legislated Stage 3 tax cuts. That gives about $254 million back to taxpayers, mostly kind of middle income earners. I was going to say middle class, but I don't, I don't really want to start talking about classes here. So uh, middle income earners. He also said the big jump in electricity prices expected this year, 23%, is lower than what was forecast in December. That was 36%. So really it's good news on electricity prices, only going up 23%. It's a very odd definition of good news, isn't it? Mm, it is. Now, Sean, the Reserve Bank's actions over the past week or so have had pretty much an immediate impact on the property market. Yes, vendors have started pulling their properties from scheduled auctions. 
The withdrawal rate last week was 13.4%. That's really quite high. It was up from 9.3% the week before. The preliminary clearance rate last week was strong, 65.2% across the capital cities, according to CoreLogic. But it's actually easy to get a higher clearance rate when there's less stock on the market. Kind of makes sense. Also, February is typically a strong month for clearance rates because the market more or less closes down for the Christmas break. It comes back in February, so it's supposed to be high. So I think that 65.2%, certainly it's, it's solid and decent, but I don't think you can read too much into it. No, perhaps not. Now, News Corp's share price fell 7% after reporting a 30% drop in December quarter earnings. The real estate and book publishing businesses were hit hardest. Yes. And as a result, News will cut its workforce by 1,250 jobs. That's about 5% after revenue fell 7%. The result was well below expectations, hence the big fall in share price. Its media division, which includes a number of properties in Australia, posted a near 50% drop in earnings, although Dow Jones, which publishes the Wall Street Journal, reported higher revenue and earnings. Good news there. Yeah, and online property group REA, which is 61% owned by news, didn't have a great half year either. That's right. Real estate listings tumbled in the last three months of 2023, down 34% in Sydney and 31% in Melbourne. And that triggered a 9% fall in REA's profit. Its share price last week was down about 2.5%. Companies like REA and Domain, it's not so much whether prices are going up or prices are going down. They really rely on listings. And listings have fallen. That was demonstrated by the auction results this weekend. All coming together, this report, Michael, all coming together. Nationally, listings were down 21% for the half year to December. Chief Executive of REA, Owen Wilson, said he expects listings to keep falling while interest rates are rising. He forecasts another 7 to 10% drop in property prices. That really would put Sydney house prices, for example, down beyond 20% peak to trough. One area, though, where prices are rising is rent. He actually said it was diabolical, his word, diabolical for renters at the moment with double-digit increases across the country. Sean, I do admire the way that you are weaving this Mm. podcast like a tapestry. Yeah, a tapestry. Mm. I like it. It's elegant, actually. Finally, Sean, before we get on to international news, the recent thawing of relations between China and Australia could see 200% plus tariffs on Australian wine reviewed or even lifted after a spokeswoman hinted at possible talks and a resolution to the trade dispute. Yeah, it's funny, our relationship with China, you know, every it's like two steps forward, one step back, but we are making those two steps forward and this is, I think, fits into that category. So China's Commerce Ministry is reported to have said it was willing to discuss tariffs that it imposed on Australian wine following the dispute back in 2020. According to the Australian newspaper, the tariffs placed on Australian wine sold into China, which ranged somewhere between about 116% and 218%, pretty much destroyed a billion-dollar-plus market for winemakers. It saw an immediate collapse of sales of Australian wine to China, which pre-tariffs was worth about $1.3 billion annually, $12.4 million, with an M, for last calendar year. Anyway, apparently the Chinese Commerce Ministry is talking about 
revisiting that, which of course is a step in the right direction. Yeah, that is very good news. And in international news, Sean, the US shot down an unidentified object that was flying over Canada on the weekend. That is the second such incident in just two days that came a week after the Pentagon took down a Chinese spy balloon off the US coast. I hope it wasn't like a kid's party balloon or something and we're using a $400,000 missile to... It does sound a little bit more serious than just shooting down the the, the escaped helium balloon, yes. You do wonder what's happening. Now, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau ordered the shooting down of an unidentified object that violated Canadian airspace. An American F-22 fighter shot down the unmanned object as part of an operation conducted by the North American Aerospace Defence Command. That's according to the Financial Times. The US Defence Department said two F-22s had monitored the object as it flew over US airspace late Friday evening. It added that the fighters continued to observe the object in conjunction with Canadian aircraft as it flew from Alaska into Canada. Then it was shot down. It all sounds a little bit sinister, don't you think, Sean? It, it, you know, you keep referring to James Bond movies when mm. we talk about this, and I kind of started sort of thinking, oh, that's just stupid. But it's more and more like a James Bond movie. The more, yeah. the further yeah. we go. Yeah, the scale of it all. It's just, it's just all these pieces are going to come together, and I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see where this ends up. Now, Sean, very serious update here. The death toll from the two massive earthquakes that hit Turkey and Syria last week is heading towards thirty thousand. Yes, about 25,000 of those are from Turkey, where thousands are still missing, 80,000 are injured, and 6,400 buildings have been destroyed. It is still a rescue mission. Rescuers are still digging through rubble for survivors and victims. Unfortunately, at some point fairly soon, it will become a recovery mission. Two military ships have been deployed in the country's south as floating hospitals as Turkey tries to handle the crisis, the incredible crisis as a result of these quakes. Yeah, it's just terrible. And finally, Sean, we mentioned this one at the top of the show, the five biggest Western oil companies, ExxonMobil, Shell, Total Energies, Chevron and BP, have made a combined profit last year of almost 200 billion US dollars, the highest on record. Yeah, 196.5 billion US dollars by my calculations, which <laughs> so nearly which could, could be a little billion. bit iffy. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. But I mean, quite phenomenal what they've come out with over the past couple of weeks. ExxonMobil made a net profit last year of 56 billion US dollars. I mean, that's a record. It equates to about 6.5 million dollars per hour. Amazing. That's, that is extraordinary. It is. Now, Chevron made $36.5 billion. That's about twice as much as the year before. Shell was at $40 billion US dollars, also doubled the year before. BP made $28 billion in 2022. It came out, this was last week, and, and controversially said it's paring back plans to cut oil and gas output and plans to reduce, like paring back plans to reduce carbon emissions by 2030. No one was very happy about that. But when they're making so much money, I suppose that's the sort of decision that shareholders want. The other one is French giant Tile Energies. It doubled its earnings last year to $36 billion US dollars. Now, you add all that up, convert it to an hourly rate, Big Oil made $22.8 million an hour last year. That is, I just, I'm blown away by that figure. It is just, it is beyond belief. It's actually obscene. Now, Sean, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, I teased you with the game that I was going to recommend to you. Yeah. 
because obviously you you have played Wordle previously, um, mm-hmm. and which we you got is it five guesses to figure out five yeah, or six guesses so. to, to figure out the um the word with just um five letters. Anyway, this one is right up your alley. As I said, it is called Tradle, T R A D L E. And it was recommended to me by my brother who said, this is perfect for fear and greed. And I had a look at it. Yes. You were given a list of a country's 12 most important exports by percentage. Oh, <laughs> and then, And you get to see their export chart. And then you have six chances <laughs> to figure out which country you are guessing. And it is fantastic because like some of the big ones you might be able to guess, uh, but then you get into some kind of obscure kind of countries in say the Caribbean or um, some African nations, and it becomes a bit of a a really kind of involved puzzle. And so for someone who enjoys, and you know who would love this? Stephen Kukoulis. He'd love it. You're right, actually. Yeah right. Actually, I'm 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 looking at it at the moment, and I'm, it's it's sent me somewhere which I don't really want to be in terms of you know talking about malware etc. So I, I'm I will won't do it while the show's going. But what a great idea! Yeah, have a go and then report back tomorrow on whether you enjoyed it because I would be will prepared do. to stake a decent sum of money on the fact that you will enjoy it. And uh, of course, we mentioned Stephen Kukulis. There is uh, an episode of the week ahead with Stephen Kukulis, our resident economist, coming up shortly. And up next, though, is the Fear and Grey Daily interview with Matthew Kidman from Centennial Asset Management. Yes, as we mentioned at the top of the show, all about what to expect this earnings season and what we're Matthew thinks things are going in terms of sectors, which ones uh, might disappoint and which ones might surprise on the upside. Yeah, it's a great one for investors. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Monday, the 13th of February, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.